Welcome to the very first episode of The Blitzbean Show, where we talk about personal development and how to live a simple, fulfilling, and creative life. My name is Patrice, and in today's episode, I want to talk about a little documentary. You might have heard of it. It's called The Social Dilemma and other issues related to social media and the scary, scary internet. First off, though, this is the very, very first episode, so I think a few introductions are in order. Perhaps you know me already from my YouTube channel or my newsletter or my Instagram or any of the things that I do online. But if you're new here, my name is Patrice, spelled like Beatrice, pronounced in Lithuanian, Betrice, but you can call me Patrice because it's probably easier. I like to make videos and write and take photos and just make stuff, and at the moment, most of that is for The Bliss Bean, which is my personal development and lifestyle blog. That definition, the personal development and lifestyle, has changed a lot over the years, and honestly, it would change like every week whenever I would upload the promotional graphics for a new video to Pinterest, I'd be thinking, Okay, what do I call the bliss bean today? Do we say it is a productivity and mindfulness blog? Do we say it is a personal development and wellness blog? How many adjectives is too many adjectives? But finally, I think I've decided that I'm going to call this just a personal development and lifestyle blog. I think that safely encompasses a lot of my interests. You can pretty much call anything lifestyle. So yeah, the channel has over 5 million views and every week the newsletter is delivered to 14,000 people and we've just been building this really awesome Bliss Bean community and I have for a long time been a fan and a listener of podcasts so I really wanted to expand into this medium because a lot of times I'll be interested in stuff and I want to share it with you but it's not well suited for a visual video format or it's too long for a newsletter, way too long for social media, and of course we can't have a conversation in person because this is the internet. So that is why I wanted to start this podcast. Yesterday, as I was getting ready for this, I was going through like this how to start your podcast in 2020 guide. And one of the first questions to answer was why are you doing this podcast? So I was inspired by The Minimalists not only to start my podcast because they have a fantastic podcast that I talk way too much about, but they also have this really great essay about their values. And this is something they bring up all the time. They say that their five core values are relationships, health, contribution, growth, and creativity. So when I was trying to answer why I wanted to start this podcast, I listed my reasons and then I tried to identify which of those values those contributed to. So number one is to build a deeper connection with my audience, you people, and share more in-depth conversations on helpful topics of interest. So that's contribution. Reason two is to meet cool people and expand my network. That's relationships. And finally, to grow through learning a new medium and sharing my thoughts in a new way. So that's growth and creativity. I don't think this podcast will impact my health in any way, but I don't know. We'll see. So this guide also said that for a lot of people, the biggest fear with starting a podcast is talking to yourself. But I have done plenty of that over the years for YouTube, but it is a different style of talking and delivering information, so I think it'll definitely be a new challenge. I did some, like, vocal warm-ups before I started this because the guide told me to do that. Surprisingly, I've never done that before filming YouTube videos. I don't know why it just, like, never occurred to me, but yeah, I did, like, stretches, and then I did breathing stuff, and I massaged my shoulders, so with all of the time I have put into preparation, 
preparing this, this episode better not flop. I also want to get better at just talking without a script because as you guys probably know, I have a tendency to script everything. Like I plan out Instagram captions in advance. I write to the word detailed YouTube scripts. So it's kind of difficult for me to just talk in an improvisational way. For future episodes, I do plan on having guests, so that should make it a lot easier. But for now, you just have to listen to my voice and no one else's. Right now, I'm sitting in my parents' closet because it's surrounded by clothing. So I think that's good for the sound quality. And then the microphone I'm using is my brother's gaming microphone because I just, I wanted to get this podcast started and I'll worry about upgrading my equipment later. So if this sounds really, really terrible, let me know. But I think it's okay for now. So yeah, if I post a photo on Instagram with like a cute podcasting setup in my room at my desk, that's fake. Just just letting you know in advance, I am sitting on the floor in a closet by myself. So I think that pretty much sums up why I started this podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in to this first episode. Please share it with people you know, and you can also find the show notes for this episode as well as all future episodes at theblissbean.com slash podcast. Alright, so let's talk about this documentary. The Social Dilemma kept coming up on my Netflix home screen a bunch of times and it seemed like something that was right up the Blissbean alley because the description says, tech experts sound the alarm on the dangerous human impact of social networking. So I was like, yeah, using digital tools mindfully, I'm all for that. I wanted to watch it at our family movie night, but my mom had already seen it, so I asked her what she thought of it and she just said, eh. Like, you know social media probably isn't good for you and the movie is scary, but it's like, what are, what are you going to do about it? And I think you can say that about a lot of documentaries. Like, a lot of documentaries can move you, but how many of them do you actually finish and feel inspired to take actual action afterwards? But I had some other issues with this documentary, so that's what I want to talk about. First of all, when I posted about this on Instagram, a couple of you brought up the great point that it makes use of the same attention grabbing that it accuses social media of doing. Like, the music they used was really intense, and then that intro part where they were introducing everyone and they were like, oh gosh, like... I had to check with my lawyer to see if I could say these things or I'm so nervous to talk about this. That was overly dramatic. And then just that whole like fictional side plot of the family was so weird. When Like when that girl smashed the food safe to get her phone out of it, that was just ridiculous. Or the scene where he picked up his phone and the notification said something like, your ex-girlfriend is dating someone new. Like, how does this app know that? I think he needs to delete that app. And also, why didn't his mom just hide the phone away? Like, she literally just left it plugged in on the counter. Do you really think he's he's not going to just walk over and use it when you're not in the kitchen? So besides a couple of glaring plot holes, I don't know, maybe it's just me, but I feel like a documentary just shouldn't use those, like, cinematic techniques. I think a documentary should just stick to the facts and statistics. That doesn't mean that it has to be boring, but I don't think it should be pulling all of this stuff out of thin air and creating all these imagined scenarios. So I thought that the main problem was that this documentary tried to cover two very different topics at one time. First, how is social media impacting our society as a whole by spreading misinformation and creating polarization? And two, how is social media impacting our daily lives and our personal relationships? And I just felt like those two topics don't really mix. They're so different. 
On the one hand, we're talking about conspiracy theories and big tech companies destabilizing governments. And on the other hand, we're just talking about constant distraction and inability to focus and concentrate. We're asking really simple questions like, how does the instant gratification of the internet impact my ability to focus and think deeply? How does the instant feedback of publishing YouTube videos and Instagram posts impact my mental health? Like, if I wake up in the morning and the first thing I do is check my social media feeds, my concern there is that I'm just going to be distracted for the rest of the day. I'm going to raise my level of anxiety. Not that social media is threatening to literally destroy our species, as one guy in the documentary claimed. And conversely, if I see this documentary and I see all this terrifying stuff that's going on in the world, me not checking my phone in the morning is probably not going to help that. Unless I was planning on reposting flat earth conspiracy videos, but I just don't think that's how the average internet user spends their time on social media. I could be wrong. Anyways, both of these issues, the large scale and the personal, are really important. I just think that because they were covered together and kind of tried to be blended together into one documentary, it was overall ineffective. Like, I did become more aware of those big issues, but at the same time, it made me feel kind of powerless in my personal relationship with social media, which is untrue, and you should watch today's YouTube video for some tips on that. Wink. <laughs> Every documentary that covers some sort of issue has a part where they talk about how do we solve this? What can we do about this? And for me, I felt like in The Social Dilemma, that part of it was very weak. Like, I'm pretty sure the bulk of it was in the credits when they were talking about turning off notifications or installing an extension that removes your YouTube recommendations. Because in the movie itself, if I remember correctly, they were just talking about how, like, we have to fix this. We have no choice but to fix this because otherwise the world will end. But they didn't talk that much about how to actually fix it. They seem to imply that this problem is so complicated that we have no idea how to fix it. And I agree that the large-scale problem of like political polarization and the swaying of public opinion is a tough beast to tackle, but there are actions we can take on a personal level that are really, really important, and I don't think they should have been shoved to the end of the documentary. I also really wanted it to touch on the human aspect of social media more. It kind of made it sound like literally all that social media is is these evil computers that a few humans over in Silicon Valley built. But like the content doesn't come from the evil supercomputer. It comes from real human beings. And the users of social media are also real human beings who have the power to make changes about how they use social media. Like those three guys who were controlling the kid's phone, they would have been powerless if he had just turned off his notifications. There was certainly a positive note at the end, but it just didn't seem like enough to me because I, for one, have experienced a lot of positivity through social media. I mean, before I started YouTube and social media and all this blogging stuff, I was under the impression that the internet was like an evil place, and if you were to ever put yourself out there, you would just get heaps and heaps of mean comments, so don't you ever put yourself out there on the internet. But, like, that just didn't happen. There's a few once in a while, of course, but, like, 
their stupid comments and these people don't know me well enough to know what would actually hurt my feelings. So overall, the way that I have my social media set up and the way that I use it, like it genuinely is a source of positivity for me, especially in quarantine and working from home when everything can get a little monotone. It's super inspiring to like see what cool creative things other people are doing and how they are getting through this. So if you're like me and you had similar opinions about the documentary and you think that social media can be good, we just have to use it properly, I would definitely recommend reading Digital Minimalism by Cal Newport. Hold on, I saved a quote. Alright, so near the beginning of the book he says, the urge to check Twitter or refresh Reddit becomes a nervous twitch that shatters uninterrupted time into shards too small to support the presence necessary for an intentional life. Round of applause for that. I think that is beautiful. Also, his book Deep Work is really good and kind of similar concepts because you can't really get into deep work if you're constantly distracted by social media. So for the next part of this episode, after seeing the documentary and they were talking all about like conspiracy theories and I think the kid was watching videos about flat earth conspiracy theories and going to the protest or whatever that was that was going on at the end... And I was thinking, you know, my feed does not have any of this stuff. So what does my feed actually consist of? What is the composition of the accounts that I follow on Instagram? So I did a kind of rough count. I tried to be accurate, but I was doing this kind of quickly. So this is going to be like plus or minus a few. I follow 144 accounts on Instagram and I counted 38 that are people I know in real life. Two are family members. My family's not super big on Instagram. 22 are online friends that I message, and but we've never met in real life. 49 are like bloggers or people I follow but don't really interact with. There are seven brands or magazines, six BTS fan accounts. Some of those are like the closet accounts where they tell you exactly um, what they wore at different appearances. I have to do my research, you know, this is very important. There's four meme accounts, designer memes, Enneagram memes, um, three college-related accounts, one app. One is my other account. It's my photography account because if you don't support yourself and follow yourself, who else will? So yeah, I would say I'm a pretty casual user of social media, especially in quarantine. I find that as I'm spending more time by myself and less time with others in the physical world, that also translates to me wanting to spend time with other people less in the digital world as well. So in terms of social media in my life, I pretty much just use Instagram to post stuff. I upload videos to YouTube and then when I want to check for updates about BTS, I'll go on Twitter on Safari where I'm not even logged in and I think that's pretty much it. I did re-download um, Pinterest when I was doing my room makeover, but then I deleted it right after because that also is so good at sucking you in. So I hardly go on YouTube. I don't use the Instagram Explore page. I don't look at what's trending on Twitter. I unfollowed most people from high school because I just honestly don't want to see what's going on in their lives and like subject myself to unnecessary comparisonitis. For some reason, I think Facebook is like the scariest and most dangerous of all of these, which is why I have a direct bookmark that takes me right to our book club Facebook group so that I can bypass the feed and only see the group and nothing else. 
I don't know. Facebook just feels like the most random to me. And so if I do open up the homepage for some reason, like I'm sure you felt this. I just feel this intense urge to scroll. Even if as I'm waiting for the page to load, I'm like, okay, Patricia, like you just got to get this one thing done. You're in and you're out. Don't look at anything else. And then as soon as it loads, I want to start scrolling and see what people are posting. That's not something that I feel with Instagram, for example. So I don't know what makes Facebook different. I think it's kind of scary. Um, YouTube is quite different. I struggle to even like lump it into the social media category because it just doesn't feel like the other social media apps. Probably partly because I feel like there's um like a high barrier of entry. Does is that the right way to use that term? Like I think one of the hallmarks of social media like Instagram and Twitter is that it's so easy to throw together a quick post and put it out into the world and consume a lot of posts very quickly but then with YouTube it obviously takes a lot of time to put together a video and it takes kind of a lot of time to watch a video as well so I don't know if I look at it the same way that I look at other social media apps but I do definitely still think that it shares some of the common downsides. Recently I was listening to Ali Abdal's podcast um, with his brother shoot what's it called? It's called Not Overthinking. They did an episode where they talked about a concept, I think they called it um, the toxic relationship between productivity YouTubers and their viewers. Being somewhat of a productivity YouTuber myself, I felt very compelled to click and to listen, and it was really interesting. They talked about how some of the people who watch these productivity videos aren't really watching to be inspired to also um, be productive and start their projects and get their work done. They're kind of watching for someone to like confirm like, yeah, see how productive this person is. You'll never be this productive. And so they went through one of Ali's videos and they looked at his comments and they were able to identify a couple of comments that kind of fit that template. And then for the YouTubers in response, whether they realize it or not, making videos becomes this quest to like portray yourself as so productive that other people like could not match your level because then those people will want to watch your videos because that's what they're looking for. So it definitely gave me some food for thought because obviously like my intention with my videos is to also inspire other people to be productive but then I got to thinking like what if that's actually backfiring and the only thing a given viewer might get from watching a video of mine is feeling worse about themselves and then they come back to my videos to basically reinforce that for for some reason. So yeah, that's just something interesting related to social media that I wanted to share. I also want to share a couple of resources that have helped me with my social media use. So for a while, I was using this tool called the Freedom Internet Blocker. And honestly, mainly I was using this to block not social media, but like emails and Google and things that can be productive, but if they distract you during your most productive work hours, then they can actually get in the way. So that was something I would use in the morning. I would start a work session and then it would not allow me to visit anything but like a short list of allowed sites. They also make a tool called Pause, which is a Chrome extension that makes you wait five seconds before you open a distracting website. And it doesn't sound like a lot, but when you're like trying to surf the web quickly, it really gets annoying, but like annoying in a good way because it makes you reconsider like, 
Do I really need to open this Instagram page? Do I really need to open up Facebook? And a lot of times you just end up closing out of it completely. So freedom and pause are the names of those. I also recently downloaded a Chrome extension that blocks your YouTube recommended feed. Literally, it's so easy. I can't believe I didn't know about this before, but all you do is you add it to Chrome, and then when you open up YouTube, I think you can customize some settings, but I just like left it at the default settings. You open up YouTube, and all you see is a blank screen and your sidebar with your subscriptions, and that's it. It's so satisfying. And then the last resource I wanted to share, I've only been using it for 48 hours, so I don't have um, super like developed opinions to share on it yet, but my Apple Watch has been adding a lot of value to my life. So I recently decided to get an Apple Watch SE. It was something I'd been thinking about for a really long time, but then once they came out with the budget SE model, then I started seriously considering it, and then I researched it, and then I made myself wait a week, and I finally picked it up on Saturday. So yeah, it's been 48 hours with it, and I didn't really, how do I put this, like anticipate the reduction in phone usage. Yes, that is what I want to say. So as you probably might assume, I am very strict with like my phone notifications. I hardly get notified about anything. I have my apps organized in a way that makes it really, really difficult to like access anything distracting or see anything distracting. So I was very hesitant about getting an Apple Watch because I had an idea in my head of how I could use it to benefit my life, but I was also worried that it would be a big distraction. However, in the short amount of time that I've had it, I found that not only have I been able to set it up in a way that isn't distracting, it also helps me to use my phone less. So the main reason that I got this watch was because I felt like I was getting really good at using my phone less and like being um, less pulled in by social media and everything, but I still felt tethered to my phone because I used it for a lot of tools, for the timer feature, for habit tracking, for um, keeping track of my to-do list, time tracking, and these required constant check-ins. Now that I have all of those features on my wrist, yesterday, for example, yesterday I was not in the greatest mood, so in the evening I was just like watching TV, um, but I left my phone upstairs, so I only had my Apple Watch with me, and it was so interesting, like I could feel myself craving my phone, like craving to just pick up my phone and start mindlessly scrolling through Instagram to like numb my mind, but all I had was my Apple Watch, and my Apple Watch does literally nothing entertaining. I actually, um, out of desperation, I downloaded a version of the 2048 game, but it's still, it's still not as fun on a small screen, so yeah, I was just like scrolling through my watch faces like scrolling through my calendar and looking at the weather and things like that and so if you're like me and um you have thought about getting an apple watch or some sort of a smart watch but you're worried about like how distracting it will be to have something buzzing on your wrist all the time I will tell you this you can set it up in a way where it doesn't buzz on your wrist all the time it barely buzzes on mine, but that it actually serves as a tool in your life and helps you to like detach from your phone. All right, so now that I finished basically that ad for Apple Watch, um, by the way, this podcast is not sponsored by anyone. Um, now I want to talk about some social media and internet issues that are like specific to content creators because I feel like social media is an issue for everyone, but all of a sudden when you are a content creator, 
that's like your job. Now you're tied to it in a certain way. Many times the thought has crossed my mind like, gosh, I would literally delete Instagram altogether, just shut down my account if it weren't for my blog. Like if I just had a personal Instagram, I probably would have gotten rid of it. So one specific issue that I want to talk about, and I'm really curious um, if any content creators listening to this can relate to this, but one thing that I struggled with was feeling guilty for not watching much YouTube because I thought, like, how can I expect people to watch my videos if I don't watch other creators' videos? And that was something that, like, ran through my mind a lot until I realized... I watch movies, but I don't direct movies, and I read books, but I don't write books. It doesn't have to be like an equal give and take relationship. You contribute to the world what you have to offer, and it's okay to not consume the type of content that you create. There's no contract that you sign when you start this YouTube stuff that says you shall watch one video for every video that you put out there. And why do I not watch much YouTube? So I was doing a podcast interview recently where we talked about exactly this and talking it out kind of helped me to clear up my own reasons for this. So number one, I think I have this fear that I am going to unintentionally adopt someone's video style because like nothing is truly original in the creative world. I feel like most of our ideas and our styles are like our mind remixing the stuff that we consume. And because I didn't watch that much YouTube anyways, like at any point in my life, I felt like it was even more likely that the few videos I did watch, I would end up like spitting that style back out through my own videos. And then the second reason for not watching much YouTube is because the kind of videos that I used to enjoy watching are basically the kind of videos that I like to make. So it's like this perfect mix, perfect storm, um, a perfect breeding ground for comparisonitis if you watch the exact sorts of videos that you create. So like I have gotten comments, I think more than one, that said, oh, you can tell she watches Best Dressed. And yes, like you're right, I did watch Best Dressed, but I haven't watched her videos in months because I love her content and editing so much that I know my brain is just going to be like, ooh, we like that. Let's use that in our videos. I love, I love Best Dressed. I love Ashley. I, my claim to fame is that I knew about her channel and I watched her before she got super famous, but like, I just can't watch her videos anymore because yeah, I, I like, I know that her style will seep into mine and I'm so afraid of that for some reason. And it wasn't really a conscious decision to stop watching YouTube like, oh, now that I started my own YouTube channel, I must not consume anyone else's YouTube videos. It was more like I slowly started to develop this anxiety surrounding YouTube and I didn't even want to click on videos because I knew that that would be a direct path to like plagiarism guilt and feeling like I'm not as good as these other YouTubers. So that's basically like a personal rule that I follow for my mental health is to just avoid YouTube as much as I can. Um, I was recently working on my room makeover video and I was looking for titles and like good keywords to use for that search engine optimization and get more people to click on it. So I started um, searching for other people's room makeover videos and doing some clicking around. Honestly, I don't know why I started clicking on those videos. I didn't even need that for the kind of research that I was doing, but it just goes to show how much um, YouTube and other social media can suck you in. But basically, as I was hopping around all these room makeover videos, I could feel my anxiety rising and just 
feeling like crap about my video, my channel, my personality, because like I would see these other YouTubers and be like, gosh, their room looks better, they're more engaging in their video, their video is better edited, they have more subscribers, like it's insane. I feel pretty good about my content most of the time, like I'm proud of the Blispy and I'm proud of what I built, but then for some reason, as soon as I look at other people's um, work and channels, that can just suddenly crumble. I do follow some YouTube channels. I follow a very careful selection of channels that I found really do inspire me, like purely inspire me and not make me feel bad about myself. And I have yet to pinpoint what exactly it is about them that makes them different from like those room makeover videos or channels. But it would be an interesting thing to um, think more deeply about and analyze in possibly another podcast episode. So yeah, that pretty much wraps up what I wanted to talk about in this episode. I did um, want to go on YouTube and just like give a couple of my subscription recommendations. So I'll just uh, forewarn you that I don't really watch videos from these channels, but these are the channels that I am subscribed to and will watch once in a blue moon. Michelle B, I really like her planning content as well as Eileen from Lavender. Honestly, I feel like all these channels that I'm going to recommend you guys probably already watch because I find that um, people tend to follow like the same groups of channels, if that makes sense. But I also really like Ali Abdal's channel. Already mentioned him. He's the one with the podcast. Damon Dominique is absolutely hilarious. Amanda Rachel Lee is a really wholesome person. Her channel is about bullet journaling and I don't even bullet journal, but I love her anyways. To the Nines is a really good fashion channel. They make really, really high quality lookbooks. Um... Mango Street is a great channel for photography if you're into that. So yeah, I will include those in the show notes as well as the resources I mentioned, just anything I mentioned throughout this episode. Um, I'm thinking of having a little segment at the end of these where I just do like an update on things that are happening at the Bliss Bean. So if you have any ideas for what to name it, please let me know because it is currently unnamed. So the first announcement is that it is the start of a new month. So we're doing a new theme over on our book club. This month's theme is digital tools, again, inspired by me watching The Social Dilemma. I'm actually like literally just now looking at the results of the poll that I posted and it looks like Digital Minimalism by Cal Newport won. So that's good because I actually never finished the book because I had to return it to the library. So we'll get to finish it all together. On Friday, I'm going to be uploading a new phone tour video where I want to show you guys how I set up my folders in a way that makes it really difficult for me to see the distracting apps and also how I am using the new widgets in iOS 14. As for the Apple Watch, I think I'm going to be making a separate video about that towards the middle of October, but as of now, I just haven't been using it long enough to be able to make a whole video about it, but I do look forward to talking more about it. I did, um, when I purchased it, I tried to be really, like, detached from it and just be, like, prepared to return it if it wasn't helpful, but honestly, it's been two days and it seems quite helpful so far. I didn't even mention the, like, the health benefits and the sleep tracking, but that definitely was a big factor in me purchasing this as well, so 
I don't think I'll be returning it and you can probably expect a video sometime in October. And then finally, this new podcast. So I think that's a pretty worthwhile announcement. I would love if you subscribe to it wherever you listen to podcasts or shared it with someone you think might enjoy it. I'm really, really looking forward to this new project for the Bliss Bean and I hope you guys get value from it and enjoy it as well. If you have ideas for topics or guests or the structure of the show or what I should name my segments or whether or not the audio sounds terrible, please, I welcome all feedback. So please feel free to DM me or email me, whatever your communication medium of choice is. Thank you so much for listening to this. You can find the show notes at theblissbean.com slash podcast, and I will see you next week. Bye.